The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much. World Cup's in full swing. We got the draft done. Free agency's about to commence, and let's go. All right. Know the Score is brought to you by CSPN. You can find us on the web at cspn.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. You can follow the show account on Twitter at KTSPod. You can follow Dwayne on Twitter at the Libra Icon, and you can follow me on Twitter at Don Delorente. So like you said, Dwayne, the World Cup is in full swing. We're getting into the second full week. And the marquee matchup that a lot of people were looking forward to last weekend was Mexico and Germany. And Mexico stunned Germany 1-0 in the uh, opening match for both teams. Um, I don't think a lot of people uh, thought that Mexico would be attacking Germany as much as they did, but their counterattack was just phenomenal. I mean, it could have gotten a lot uglier than it did, but uh, to Germany's credit, they did thwart um, just about every um, run that uh, Mexico did uh, build up on those counterattacks except for one, so... Well, your thoughts on this uh, match, Dwayne? I know a lot of people were tuned into this one and, and kind of shocked by the result. It was a big upset, and I think when you look at the, you know, the enthusiasm, the history of both countries, and the passion that these players showed on the field, it was uh, a recipe for a instant classic. You got to give. Compared to um, Ochoa, Mexico's goalie, one of the only goalie, probably the only goalie that has shut out Germany and Brazil in his career on the international stage. So uh, definitely want to give him a lot of credit because without his um, alert goaltending and everything, they would not be in this position. And also, the counterattacks that Mexico had for Germany was amazing. It was back and forth, a lot of action. And, you know, you got, when you have people who are, you know, casual soccer fans, this is the event to have it. And that was the game to have, like, everybody, soccer purists, soccer fanatics and a casual fan this was the game that you had to have to you know really grab everybody's attention and it lived up to the billing it lived up to the hype it was a very very good uh as mexico goes up to nothing on korea south korea um this was a really good game for mexico and, you know, very crucial on advancing to the knockout stage. So, um, shout out to Mexico. Uh, Germany, they got work to do if they want to uh, move on to the knockout stage and defend their title. Brazil, they started fast. But Switzerland, they played a fantastic second half and they got a goal and they earned a 1-1 draw. So, this was definitely... Uh, you know, an upset, um, shocking result. I looked like it was going to get pretty ugly, but uh, Switzerland tightened up their uh, their back end. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Brazil scored in probably like the 16th, 17th minute. So, I mean, they 
you know, shut them down in the whole second half and, uh, you know, got that uh, tying goal. So um, talk about Brazil kind of looking eh, to start the just to start their World Cup. And Brazil has been looking pretty average in in these in that in that game, man. They look pretty average in these in their second game as well. And what happened with the what happened with um, Brazil? You wanted to say that it's kind of like they have this aura about them that. Sometimes you wonder if it's a sense of entitlement or whatnot, but they kind of really tighten up, and with the fact that they had a draw against Switzerland, and then and then um, they played and took stoppage time to get by Costa Rica with two late goals. The next matchup, uh, you know, Brazil's kind of not in the clear yet because. Uh, Serbia does get uh, Serbia does uh, play. Um, actually, no. Serbia lost to Switzerland, and now so it's really down to this final uh, week. You know, Brazil cannot lose um, against against Serbia, and Switzerland plays uh, Costa Rica is already eliminated. Uh, but you know, Switzerland will also need to when to move forward in this World Cup. So this group here with these three teams and two spots available, something's going to have to really uh, give here. You know, we got to see if Brazil will be the attacking team that we expect them to be. I mean, you have Neymar, you have Philip Coutinho, you have Roberto Farina, you have Marcelo, you have plenty of guys who can get the job done but i think they are beating them they're beating themselves with the with the lack of intensity and a lot of complacency uh, you know they can't escape um uh, i don't think serbia is going to be a costa rica where they're going to just you know a lot of results will just run wild and so but serbia does need to learn to close out games because they were at one nothing and blew the blew the game against uh, Switzerland late as well. The most dominant team in the World Cup so far has been Belgium. They have really been putting it off people uh, three nothing uh, to win their opener against Panama, and then they scored five against um, in their second game. I forgot who that was against uh, the other day. So yeah, you said that Belgium was going to be a team to watch. And so far they have been, um, you know, looking as far as goal differential and, you know, putting the ball in the net, they've clearly been the best team in the world cup so far. They have, and this is a team that has a lot of talent. This is a team that's on a mission. This is a team that is definitely, the dark horse and you know like we alluded to um in the world cup preview that this is their time to shine and right now they have a 20 match unbeaten streak and they have they have been playing very well you got hazard you got lukaku uh on the front lines leading the charge and this is a team that is definitely not one to 
take lightly. And with the group, along with, uh, I mean, you got two great wins against Panama and Tunisia, but now you have England coming up. That's probably going to be the marquee matchup. Of course, that's after England and Panama uh, go at it as well. But I really do like the fact that Belgium is scoring at will, and and I want to see how they do against uh, a, a more elite team in England and see how things go from there. All right. Speaking of England, they had to have a late goal to defeat Tunisia 2-1. to one. It didn't look good for England there, but uh, it came through in like the 88th minute or so, and uh, then they established a win. So they're looking good to maybe come out of their group. Uh, talk about England and, you know, the way that they're looking. They're supposed to be like really good, but they always come up short in this particular tournament. So, Yeah, this is a team that's had some hard luck with the World Cup, but they have a lot of talent. Uh, if you do watch the Premier League, you know about Harry Kane, you know about, you know about Raheem Sterling, you know about Deli Ali, you know about uh, Jordan Henderson, Marcus Rashford. A lot of players are definitely there from the elite squads of the uh, Premier League. And this is a team that's got to just translate that into uh, wins on the on the pitch and at the biggest stage. So this is where, you know, just like we said on the Belgian side, I want to see how Belgium matches up with a, a better team like England. We got to see how England matches up against a team like Belgium. Um, and with these two squads, they have, they both have a lot of talent. They both have a lot of great uh, offensive opportunities. I think, Tunisia played a great game against England to slow down their their top scorers, but when you have a guy like Harry Kane, who was second in the Premier League and scoring to Mo Salah of Egypt, um, and and what will happen there is, I would love to see Belgium and England go on an offensive explosion and maybe to like a three three four three high-scoring soccer game. We may not get that, but, you know, a guy can dream, right? Yeah, usually when these uh, teams get together and both teams are really good, they tend to play it real conservative. Right. And and, and they really don't kind of tend to open it up until kind of like the last 15 minutes of each half where they tend to kind of start going for it some. So, yeah, you may get one of those kind of layback type of games that that doesn't really have a lot of action to it. Uh, between Belgium and England coming up just because, you know, there's so much respect on both sides. Right. Uh, Senegal, they had some controversy, but they beat Poland on an own goal by Poland and a controversial uh, breakaway goal. Uh, The gentleman for Senegal was on the end line and it looked like he was getting treatment. And then they played the ball back to the goalie and my man jumps off the end line, (laughs) swoops the ball and scores a goal. And they counted it, and it stood. So uh, Senegal, with a little bit of controversy, they beat Poland, and uh, they're looking good to advance into the knockout stage. Yeah, this is great for Senegal. I mean, you have a you have a um, kind of 
they have a good team. But you, you know, you got a little bit of luck as well. So, uh, you know, was the goal controversial? Yes, but you know, a lot of times these controversies always go against the teams from Africa. So to have a controversial uh, decision go against the, uh, I guess, uh, well, not against, but for in the favor of uh, a team from Africa, this was uh, a pretty good, impressive win. I think uh, Senegal has what it takes to move on to the next stage. They're in a pretty decent group. I mean, they got by Poland and now they can um, they can get by Japan and Colombia. If they just get enough points, they have a good chance of moving on. Um, this was a this was a um, indefinite um, definite team. I mean, this was actually Africa's first win uh, for for the teams that are in it because um, at the time when Senegal won, everybody else, Egypt, Morocco, Nigeria, and Tunisia all lost. So for Senegal to get the W, very good win. They have a good spirit about them, a good team. And I would love to see how they play out in the rest of the group stage. And I would love to see them get to the knockout stage. Kind of a new a new look, a new heights for this country. And they have a lot of, they're led by uh, Sadio Mane, who is uh, one of the stars of Liverpool. So we should be seeing a lot of, more of him in this uh, cup. Uh, but if teams can converge, it looks like they got other guys like a strike as well. All right. And we'll wrap up the World Cup talk with a disappointing side, Argentina. Man, they uh, go down in flames two to nothing to Croatia. Um, And if they don't get a win and then they need some help in the form of a loss or um, a tie, well, basically a loss from Nigeria, then Argentina won't be making it to the knockout round. And Messi is going to uh, try to put this World Cup as far behind him as he possibly can because he has not played well at all in, in in any of these games. Didn't I say that in the World Cup preview as well, that Messi was not good at this kind of stage? I think I did. And this proves me right. Look, I don't ever want to hear anybody ever say Messi's greater than Ronaldo ever again. Because when it comes down to the international stage, you know, this is not the stage for Leo Messi. And Argentina has been probably one of the, the biggest disappointments, if not the biggest disappointment. And and I think this is a team that feels like they are they have the sense of entitlement. And I think now that that sense of entitlement has been matched with complacency and and a lazy kind of style of play while the other teams are playing hard this is where they are now and and now you have you have a 
you had a draw against Iceland. Now you have a. Now you had a two nothing loss to Croatia, and now you're staring elimination in the face. And you know with with a Nigeria team who built a lot of confidence after their win over Iceland the other day. You know this could be something that is. This is going to be something special that Nigeria could possibly even move on. And, and um, you know, Argentina will need some help, but I don't – I just don't have any faith in this team. Like, this team was – when I watched the 2014 World Cup, it was the same situation. There was just a lot of um, a lot of lazy plays, like the players didn't care. It's like Messi really didn't care. And, you know, it's going to be worse now when, when, uh, if they lose to get out of this group stages. Just not, you know, you got those rabid fans there who are not going to be pleased with the way this team has played. And so, word on the streets in Moscow have been saying that, you know, the officials from the, Argentine Football Association and the players and coaches are all having conversations, trying to get on the same page so they can, you know, get this win over uh, Nigeria to move on and hopefully get some help from Croatia and and, um, beating Iceland. All right. So before we move on to our next segment, is there uh, any remaining games uh, coming up? And I think there's two more games to be, or one more game to be played for each team uh, in the group stages here. Is there one or two games that you're looking forward to or a good matchup or a matchup that's going to mean a lot as far as somebody advancing? Uh, yeah, there's a few games that I want to uh, take a look at. Uh, uh, we look at the because uh, you got Japan and Senegal Sunday, England and Panama. Poland and Colombia is going to be a good one, I think. And then Uruguay and Russia, even though both squads have moved on already, uh, that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I also say, like, next Tuesday, that's really going to be next Tuesday, 1 o'clock. Um, you got Iceland and Croatia, Nigeria. Nigeria and Argentina, they're playing those um, last games simultaneously. So, you know, nobody can really kind of scoreboard scoreboard watch. Just focus on the game. So it's going to be a lot of um, back and forth channel flipping, I I already can imagine. So uh, Serbia, Brazil, uh, Switzerland, and Costa Rica, you want to just keep an eye on that group on Wednesday because, you know, Brazil's not in the clear just yet. And England and Belgium on Thursday, those are going to be, those are going to be the matchups that I'm looking forward to next week because it's going to be simultaneous. I mean, between Fox and FS1, you're going to be having, uh, games played at the same time. So teams gonna be keeping an eye on the scoreboard and playing the game their their own game as well. 
All right. Thank you for that. So you guys uh, get your schedules according, uh, adjust your schedules accordingly so you guys can take in all of that World Cup action. And we'll be back next week to see who advances to the knockout stages. At this time, just as a reminder that this is Know the Score. I am your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm here with my co-host, the Libra Icon. And we're going to talk about the NBA as we had some NBA news to start off the week. As the Hornets leading up to the draft, they traded Dwight Howard to the Nets for Timothy Mozgov and a couple of second round picks. The Nets, the Nets are expected to buy out what's left on Dwight Howard's contract, making him an unrestricted free agent. So another summer, another team has gotten rid of Dwight Howard and he's out here looking for a home. Um, there's a lot of speculation that, you know, he may try to find himself out in Golden State with the Warriors to try to maybe rehab his reputation. Um, what do you think is up with Dwight Howard, man? Do you think he's just um, a selfish player that, that he's, he's so concerned with himself that he doesn't necessarily fit in with the team dynamic? I mean, he's kind of bounced around these last like four or five seasons. He hasn't been able to find a home, even though his stats are pretty good. It's a character issue at this point. Uh, like I said, the stats are decent. I mean, he averaged 16 and 12 with the Hornets this season. But if you reading the articles from the Charlotte Observer and, and uh, you know, keeping an eye out on NBA insiders, when you talk to, when you brought up Dwight Howard's name in the Hornets uh, locker room, you got a whole bunch of eye rolls and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, kind of responses. And when Mitch Kupchak made this trade, I mean, remember, Kupchak was the one that brought Howard to Los Angeles and for the Lakers. And you know how that ended. And so he burned the bridge of Kobe Bryant. He burned the bridge of James Harden. He did not last well in Atlanta. He's didn't last long in Charlotte and you know, he finally got the move to Brooklyn he wanted six years after the fact. <laughs> and now the Nets don't even want him. So it's um at this point it's it's a character issue. And also, uh, you know, Dwight Howard is a post player. Um and in this era of basketball right now Centers are shooting threes. Centers are stretching out the floor. And the Dwight Howard's of the past. That's, it's an archaic uh, kind of position. Um, so it's one of those I don't necessarily see. Um, I see him in Golden State, but I can also see him running his mouth to the point that Draymond Green gets annoyed. And, you know, you got two of the fakest tough guys in the NBA <laughs> right there with uh, Draymond and Dwight. So I would love to see that pillow fight. Um, but it is a character issue uh, because this will be his fifth team in five years at this point after after all the um, Stan Van Gundy drama, the awkwardness uh, wanting to stay in Orlando but wanting to go to Brooklyn and you know it's just it's really a sad situation 
you know, to have somebody that talented has so many uh, character flaws. And if I so, can jump in right quick, Dwight Howard reminds me of um, RG3 in the sense of he didn't understand how good his situation was until he wasn't in that situation no more. And then he looks back and I'm, he pre I'm no, he looks back and goes, man, I should have just shut my mouth in Orlando and let Stan do what Stan was doing because I was the face of the league. I was in the finals. I was in the mix. Everybody was gearing up their teams to beat me. You know, they weren't gearing up their team to beat LeBron at that point. Everybody in the East was gearing up to have to face Dwight Howard. And, you know, like you said, I don't know how that kind of, I don't don't know if that kind of got to his head and he kind of flipped the switch and kind of, you know, changed his, his personality or whatever. But then he started that stuff with Van Gundy. And once that situation got away from him, it's been downhill ever since, man. Right. Agreed. Agreed. And with that, you know, being said, it's, you know, he's not going to get the big payday like he once commanded. And, you know, teams are going to be very, very risk, uh, very, very hesitant. Hesitant. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, hesitant on signing him long term because of all these, um, all these um, issues. And, you know, if you're going to go to a team like Golden State, you have to fall in line. You're not above right. that. You know, that's they built a culture there. And, you know, that's the same kind of culture. I think, you know, Dwight Howard didn't make a difference in the Hornets win-loss column. Also, you got to say, you also got to look at it as the Hornets had a lot of injuries, but they also have a lot of bloated contracts as well. Uh, not only was Dwight Howard a hindrance, I mean, let's put it this way. Miss Kochak took Timothy Bosgall's bloated contract from the Lakers and the Nets to get rid of Dwight Howard. That's how bad it's got. <laughs> if you take Bosgall's um, contract, which still has about $16 million over the next two years, and, you know, the Hornets are already um, – a 36-46 team that's near the luxury tax. That's not a good thing when you... That's really a reflection of how you have acted over the years when they will take a bloated, a heavily bloated contract over what you produce. I mean, you even had a 32-30 game this season and you still got shipped out. So, best of luck to Dwight Howard. Um... You know, like hopefully you find he'll realize what's going on and do what he needs to do to change. Right, right. Uh, that was all. That was the only trade leading up to the draft. Um, we thought there was going to maybe be a lot of action heading up on the on the one year anniversary of the trade from the Hawks to the Hornets. <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, but not a lot of action leading up into the draft. So the draft came and went on Thursday and we're going to run down the top 10 and some notables. Um, we had the Suns, of course, they picked DeAndre Ayton from Arizona. So he's staying put. That doesn't have to uh, move, but you know, stuff across town from the dorm. Uh, Marvin Bagley, the third, he's going out to the Kings. He was a second pick center from Duke. The Hawks, they pick Luka Dondic, the guard from Slovenia, but then they traded him to Dallas. The Grizzlies, they select Jaron Jackson Jr., 
power forward from Michigan State. The Mavericks, they picked Trey Young at number five, and then they traded him back to the Hawks. The Magic, they picked center Mo Bamba from Texas. The Bulls, they got Wendell Carter Jr. from Duke. The Cavs, they picked Colin Sexton, point guard, Alabama. The Knicks, they get Kevin Knox, small forward from Kentucky. And the 76ers get Mikael Bridges, who they later traded to the Suns. Um, so uh, that was a really bad thing for Mikael Bridges because like his mom works for Philadelphia's um, front, like their HR department. And they were like really excited and she was really happy. And he was doing his post-draft press conference. And while he's literally answering questions about what's it going to be like to play, you know, in Philly and see your mom and all that stuff, uh, he's getting traded to the uh, Phoenix Suns. So, uh, it wasn't a good look for the Philly, uh, for the Philly, uh, folks on draft night with that one. So through the top 10, kind of, uh, talk about some things that stood out to you. Do you think the Hawks are doing a little too much there with Trey Young, basically being the, the third pick in this draft? No, no, no. I mean, I call it Trey TL now, you know? So, <laughs> so it, I like, I like the Trey Young to Atlanta. I like the trade. Luka Doncic is going to be the heir apparent to Dirk. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at the you look at the videos of his style of play, it reminds you clearly of Dirk Nowitzki. And so I really like the fact that the Mavericks and the Hawks made that trade. Uh, gives Atlanta a star power that they're looking for in this rebuild. Uh, Trey Young will be the face of the franchise. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, who doesn't want to be part of the said rebuilding project, is on the trading block anyway. So, so that is going to be a good look for Trey Young because he will he has a chance to be the guy. And I think that I think with um, new head coach Lloyd Pierce, things will things will start to, you know, look pretty well if Atlanta can make some good moves in free agency down the road, and we'll see if um, the Hawks can get back to where they were. Um, I like the, like I said, the Lucas air parent to Dirk now, so it's going to be a good look for the Dallas Mavericks. I like that trade. I guess the Sacramento Kings just believe in getting the most re- available player. They already have a center in Willie Cauley-Stein that they drafted pretty early a few years ago. So they get another center in Marvin Bagley. This kind of just reminds me of the whole Thomas Robinson situation in 2012 when he got drafted to the Kings. He was the best player available and he never really got a chance to take off. So I hope Marvin Bagley gets that chance to take off. Uh, you know, I just don't know what Vladi and company are doing. And so you would have picked Dondich right there at number two. I would, I would have because he's more of a power forward, small forward type mm-hmm. versus a center. Um, you know, and even if he does play center, he could stretch the floor in a small ball lineup and. And I don't see that happening with uh, Bagley. I think, I think 
one thing I noticed about this draft is a lot of these centers and big band, they are kind of a kind of they back to the basket kind of guy. So uh, if they do work on stretching it out, I'll because uh, you remember what Demarcus Cousins case, he was a back to the basket kind of guy, but now he shoots more threes than anybody I've ever seen in my life. So um, it's easier on his body, man. It is. It is because <laughs> they all had to they all had to bang up against another player. It is. It is very easy. So I I agree with that. Um, I just think that. Um, I just think that we should see. We'll see if they adjust to. Uh, this current era where they do have to shoot a few more uh, shots from distance. Um, None of the things I weren't a fan of, I wasn't a fan of, aside from the Bagley pick, I wasn't a fan of the Kevin Knox to New York. I think the Knicks could have gotten someone better, like the Bridges. I think Bridges would have been great from Broadway. Um, and then, of course, the when he did get picked, okay, hey, I have a familiarity with the arena, familiarity with Philadelphia, and then he gets shipped off to Phoenix. But I think it's going to be a good look for the good look for the Suns, uh-huh. um, and a good look for the good look, good look for the Suns, and a good look for um. The Sixers because they got a pretty good player, Desire Smith, too. So right, right. So we're going to talk about some notables. Um, Miles Bridges, he's going to go to the Hornets as the Clippers picked him and then traded him to the Hornets. So what do you think about Miles Bridges coming to the Hornets? I didn't really like this. I thought they should have kept the guy that they did pick initially that they sent over to the Clippers. Um, uh, I can't even say his last name, but Shy. Uh, the guy, yeah, yeah, it's a guy from Kentucky, probably the second best point guard in the draft. You know, like stick with the dude you get; he's right there for you. But they're gonna go with um, Miles Bridges, who's kind of a tweener. He doesn't really, he's not really a small forward. He's not really big enough to be a power forward. He's kind of like Draymond Green with better athleticism, and they better hope he can get a better three point shot. I think it's not a bad look, honestly. And I wanna say I'm gonna say this because with the Hornets wanna keep Kemba. I know Kemba's got the best trade bargaining chip and they already said they're not gonna just give Kemba up for nothing. So it's really trying to satisfy Kemba Walker and um and Nick Batum was hurt. Um, Cody Zeller was hurt. So if you look at this, you got you can put a lineup on the floor with um, Kemba. Then you got Batum. You can swap Batum and Bridges uh, between two and a three, if or even Malik Monk as well, because you still got him off. You can still have uh, Malik Monk as well. So they have. They have the guys in place. Um, Gildas Alexander is not a good free throw shooter. Uh, one thing that I did notice in a lot of Kentucky games was if you're going to be a 6'6 point guard, you got to make free throws. And he is not a good free throw shooter whatsoever. 
Um, I like the, I did like the fact, and they even got, they ended up getting the point guard to come off the bench in the second round with Devontae Graham, Raleigh Native, who is literally going to be right at home. So they did address the point guard issue uh, in the second round, but I'm not, I was actually kind of glad that they, I'm actually going to be on the opposite. I was actually glad they dealt Gildas Alexander because I wasn't a fan of that pick. But until I saw they traded for Bridges, I was actually kind of happy with that because he's a very he's a good athletic player and he'll he'll um, if he can just do what Draymond does. I mean, they're from the same area. He just do what he does. Just you know, stuff the stats, and that's something the Hornets can use. Right. So are they finally moving away from uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist? I think I think Kidd Gilchrist will be a good maybe coming off the bench, maybe you know because I think Frank I think Frank Kaminsky and Cody Zeller will be a good two starters versus uh, Kidd Gilchrist and Zeller. Because at least Kaminsky can stretch out. Because, like I said, it's all about stretching the floor out. Mm-hmm. And Kid Gilchrist, even though know, his shot form has drastically improved over the last few years, is still not good enough to, you know, he's still not a good three point shooter at the end of the day. Right. right. Um, so that I think you have to take that into consideration. I think he'd be a good second unit guy. Versus, versus a starter. Okay. The Denver Nuggets took the biggest risk in hopes of reaping the biggest reward at number 14 as they picked Michael Porter Jr. from Missouri. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., of course, um, missed most of the college basketball season with a bad back. Uh, It's reported he had to have his uh, back operated on again, and he's more than likely going to basically miss this whole season coming up. Um, so, you know, 2020 will probably be the first time that he gets any uncourt action for the Nuggets. So the Nuggets are hoping that this turns out to be like Joel Embiid, that it's worth the wait. Uh, he could be, you know, everybody says that when he's healthy, he was the top player or at least top three player in this draft. And that, you know, the injuries have just, you know, scared teams away more than, you know, his talent not being what it was. It's just that they're just unsure because of the medicals. So talk about Denver taking this risk and what this could mean for them if this actually does pan out because it's hard for teams like Denver, the Bucks, Charlotte to get players like this in free agency. You have to draft somebody this good. I think you summed it up perfectly. I mean, this was the biggest risk slash reward. And if, if it pays off, it will be a lot of Joel Embiid trusting the process. And so I think you summed it up perfectly by by uh, saying that, hey, if we sit him out, let him heal up, by the time he comes into the league in 2020, it could be the 2020 rookie of the year. So not really much to say, except that maybe if he didn't go to Missouri, he wouldn't have that problem. But... I'm going to just leave it at that because it was his first game with um, as a Missouri Tiger where he got that injury. So, um, but I think 
Denver really believes in. They did the research. I think they wouldn't have done the they wouldn't have picked them if they didn't do the research. All right. The Milwaukee Bucks, they chose Dante DiVincenzo, the uh, most outstanding player of this year's Final Four, uh, the shooting guard from Villanova, the sixth man who came off the bench, and I think he tied the record for most points in the uh, championship game. I think he scored 31 or 32. I know it's tied for the most. I think three players have scored uh, that much in a championship game. Um, so uh, as Bomani refers to him, White Dante, or as his friends call him, the Big Ragu, is going up to play uh, with Milwaukee. They needed a shooter, uh, a, a sure enough shooter. Um, they made some strides uh, this year, but with uh, DiVincenzo in the mix, probably as a starter, that's going to definitely open up the floor for uh, Giannis and all those tall guys they got. So Milwaukee definitely helped themselves and improve uh, with this pick. They did. And now I actually make Eric Bledsoe expendable because I was actually talking about this with a buddy of mine. Um, Eric Bledsoe, I mean, he was a good addition to the Bucks for a little bit, but he's a streaky shooter. Um, Chris Milton, you got to wonder sometimes, can he stay consistently healthy? So uh, getting a guy like Dante DiVincenzo was a very smart pick and and uh, the floor will be definitely stretched out and he's a marksman from three point land. I think I think him going on to the pros is a great decision and and he's gonna be he's gonna be a pretty good he's gonna have a nice lengthy NBA career. I definitely see that. Right, right. Um Somebody else who went at the end of the first round, near the end of the first round, was Grayson Allen. I think he went 21st to the Utah Jazz. Um, Donovan Mitchell seemed really excited as he uh, crashed a set of uh, Grayson Allen's uh, uh, post-draft interview there on ESPN and gave him a big hug, and he seemed really excited about what they could do in the backcourt. So I uh, talk about Grayson Allen and, and what he will bring to Utah and what he can kind of help them uh, improve on after their you know breakout season that they had this year. Um, I think Grayson Allen bring a lot of good defense. He is a he's one of those agitator types, and I think that once he once he gets um uh, used to the um, NBA kind of um, style of play, uh, he'll have a pretty decent he'll have a pretty decent uh career. I'm not too um. I mean, he's still got a great dynamic point guard, Ricky Rubio, um, and um, a lot of uh, players are pretty, pretty good at keeping. Uh, a lot of players are pretty good at um, keeping them in check. I think they'll be all right. All right, all right. And the last notable we had uh, was Jalen Brunson, the point guard from Villanova. He got picked at the 33rd pick by the Mavericks. So the Mavericks looks like they're uh, doubling down. They've got, they got Dennis Smith last year. This year they got a backup and Jalen Brunson. They're trying to retool on the fly. It looks like, so talk about Jalen Brunson going to the Mavericks and kind of what they're trying to do over there. A lot of people are really uh, enthused about what the Mavericks have done uh, out of this draft and, you know, going forward in the next couple of seasons. They got a young, tough core. Uh, It's going to be a nice little transition from, Dirk Toluca, Dennis Smith Jr., 
was going to be kind of like, you remember when the uh, Mavericks had Nash Nowitzki and uh, Michael Finley? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a few years, I think this team will have the same thing. Jalen Brunson, I mean, you know whose dad is, the great Rick Brunson. He brings that attitude. He brings that, that tough nose uh, style of play. And also, he has that good mid-range jump shot, too. So, I think if these guys can get can stay focused and stay stay poised and keep their keep their egos in check, this could be uh, a great future. Yeah, Dallas is trying to get Chandler Parsons up out of there, but it looks like that's gonna be harder uh said uh done than said because uh nobody really wants that dude. Um you know, he's had a kind of strange, 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 like three or four seasons here uh, since he left Houston uh, in that free agent deal. So they're trying to get him up out of there to, you know, not corrupt things going forward, I guess. So we'll see, you know, where he lands up. I mean, he's so talented, but goodness gracious, he's a head case. Definitely. And I think once they get rid of that, they'll be in even better shape than before. Right, right. So, um, any anything else, kind of later in the second round, or somebody who went undrafted that got picked up, um, you know, on on Friday, that uh, you know, surprised you or interested you, or or you know, somebody we should look out for that maybe is a second round pick that's got you know first round uh, potential. Um, I want to say, um. Of course, two Kansas players, um, Devontae Grandsfee, Mikhail Luke. Grant went to the Hornets, as I said earlier. Speed uh, Mikhail got drafted by the Lakers. And then uh, Malik Newman, I think, now probably the sleeper pick. He got picked up by the Lakers as well on a two way deal. So I think Malik is a dynamic scorer. And, man, I think he'll work hard in. He'll, I think he'll be the shock of the. I think the, out of the undrafted, he'll um, get the chance to make something have an impact. All right, all right. So uh, that was the NBA draft. So good luck to all those young men. Hopefully, they uh, have you know ten, fifteen years of health, and uh, they have very successful careers in the NBA, living out their dreams. So at this point, Dwayne, I'm going to open it up to you for your final thoughts, thank yous, and shout outs. Well, shout out to the CSPN. Uh, shout out to shout out to um, Jesse Tobias. Uh, of course, thank you, Don, for having me every week. Um, I want to say final thought. I'll keep it really short and simple. My baseball team sucks, and I'm about ready for football season in spite of all the controversy. So um, I've, I do not know what they're going to do in terms of trying to keep their health or keep a rebuild going. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm still a fan. So I just have to take the lumps as I go along, but I'm almost just done. <laughs> baseball season-wise. So. I'd like to thank Dwayne for joining me this week. I, um, I my final thought would kind of be just the Atlanta Braves. They're look like they're for real folks. They're not going away. 
Freddie Freeman is leading the uh, NL, and I think MLB, but I know for sure the ML in batting right now. Uh, Ron Acuna, Acuna Jr. is about to come back off the DL, and uh, their pitching is good. Uh, their bullpen was a little shaky, but they seem to have gotten that kind of straightened out. But the only thing is the Nationals got uh, Herrera from the Royals uh, this earlier this week. And so now that sets their bullpen back in line and he's definitely lights out. So they made that move well before the trade deadline and before the all-star break. So the nationals are, you know, gearing up to make their run now at the Braves, but it looks like the Braves are going to be able to at least get to the all-star game uh, in first place. And we'll see what happens the second half of the season, if they can keep it up, but it's really exciting to see them have such a young team and then be able to, build the lead and, and continue to build on it and, you know, not wilt in the pressure that the Nationals have been uh, trying to apply to him. So good luck to the Braves and uh, good luck to uh, Nabias Wilborn. Maybe he can cover some October baseball and we can get some uh, reports from the playoffs. That would be really cool. For the show, it will be all right. But... <laughs> yeah, I, you know, your bias will have to take a side <laughs> seat for those uh, for those dugout calls when he's in – Arizona or wherever. Uh, I guess. I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, shout out to Nabaya. Shout out to Jesse. Shout out to everybody here on CSPN. Please support the sponsors, Amazon.com, Blue Apron, uh, Audible, um, Busted Tees. Um, just go to CSPN.us. Click on the menu tab where it says keep the podcast free. Scroll down through those tabs. Click on something, buy something. Keep the shows free here on CSPN each and every week. Um so, you know, we can continue to be uh, free and uh, give you guys our opinions and thoughts when it comes to sports and various other things that we provide entertainment for here on CSPN. So on that note, for the Libra Icon Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.